Hello, and welcome to this episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. My name is Catherine Troyer, and I'm so excited to be joined by Tony Tresca. Hey there! This is a podcast where the horrifically nerdy meets the terrifyingly academic, as we explore that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited to have you join us for our episode over Friday the 13th, Part 2. So the, the line in our opening thing about like the horrific and the horrible, right? Like, so the stuff that's good mm-hmm. horror versus bad horror. I, I really kind of just expected this film to, to be in the horrible category. I don't know if it's just my existing prejudice against the Friday the 13th franchise, or yeah. if it's just the fact that a second film usually made without the same director or the same cast can be a little rough. But, but this was rather delightful. I agree. I have such a disdain for this franchise uh, and did going into it, like, as you mentioned, lots of lots of biases towards this franchise. I was like, in my mind, I was like, this is always like that B tier of like all of the mainstream horror franchises. I was like, that one's clearly like a little bit lower. But this, uh, the part two managed to deliver some fun, campy campness, which, uh, at, at a summer camp, which you know we 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 have an affinity for, if you've been yes. listening to this podcast for any for a long time, and you know I guess technically the first Friday the Thirteenth was set at a summer camp, but it didn't really feel like it was set at a summer camp in the same way. Interesting. That part two was. I think it's because uh, in this one, and this will you, I'm maybe showing my hand and where I'm going. It plays more into the ritual elements that build the camp in this one and in a way that I just don't think the first one does quite as effectively. And it made this one a lot more fun to watch. The horror was interesting. If this franchise is, I think you used this phrasing uh, in our little talk right before we started recording, uh, you had said this franchise was not as developed by the second one as you thought it would be. It doesn't fit that kind of what, when you think of Friday the 13th and Jason in the hockey mask, what that, what Friday the 13th is the, in the cultural zeitgeist, that is not where we're at in part two at all. Like, no, and it's... Jason is in a sack, like, like a burlap sack. And it's rather wild, right? That, like, because one of the things I find just very fascinating is how how films do make it into our cultural zeitgeist, do sort of capture the imagination. And the fact that it takes us two films right it's not going to be until the third film that we're going to get the the hockey mask wearing machete wielding jason that's such an <laughs> it's so interesting and it's so interesting in part because like you said he's wearing this burlap sack that is very reminiscent of the town that dreaded sundown and there is so 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 much about both the original friday the 13th and part two that are if not explicit shot by shot moments from other horror films then pushing the boundaries of homage into remake right because we talked about this with friday the 13th and the fact that there was the the pov shot that was very reminiscent of um the opening sequence in halloween lots of people have talked about the fact that this film has a lot of references to uh giallo films 
And although the filmmakers will tell you they've never heard of any of the films that there are like almost shot by shot sequences for, it, it is hard to imagine that such a close approximation would have been made without somebody having seen it right at some point. And, and so I think it's just like it's so interesting that it is so, so similar, doing so many things we've seen before, still underdeveloped. And yet it's, it's Friday the 13th, which you for you and me is one of the lower of the franchises. But for some people, it's the top dog, right? Like it, it's the king of the, the hill. Which I, I suppose uh, does just put everything in mind, put everything in perspective. It's, uh, it's all a matter of taste. And, but and I, I think this one to kind of defied that my, my biases and that, and that idea and it made me more intrigued for the rest of the for the rest of the franchise too, and seeing wherever this is going to go. If this is what part two is, and let let's jump let's jump into it. Let's jump, yeah. So, do you have a plot summary for us? So we begin uh, two months after the murder, uh, as at Camp Crystal Lake from the original, where we see Alice is recovering from her trauma. Uh, because it's about trauma, like all good horror is. And she is still experiencing these flashbacks, and she is then violently killed on screen within, like, the opening, like, 11 minutes of the film. We then jump to, like, five years later, where we've got a whole new crew at Camp Crystal Lake, and we all vaguely remember what happened last time as we tell through some campfire stories and will be revealed through little bits and pieces and, of course, splashing starts happening. Jason is back, and he is still angry that kids are on this summer camp. <laughs> yeah, let's start at the beginning. Uh, you know, So this film has a very long opening sequence, one of the longest, still like on record at like nearly 15 minutes. But let's talk about the reintroduction of, of our Alice character, because like you said, uh, you know, horror is trauma, but a lot of slasher films don't explore that right because they they start with a new fresh victim and then it ends mm-hmm. after the violence has ended but before the trauma can begin but in this one she says she's like tells her mom i'm dealing with this in the best way i possibly can that is literally where we are starting and it's interesting just like how this sequence came to be because there was originally in the producer's original conception for the friday the 13th franchise these were not supposed to be connected kind of sequels. They were originally imagined to be released every year on Friday the 13th, and they were going to just be a new horror story that didn't necessarily even have Jason or any of the returning camp characters from Camp Crystal Lake. But one of the producers was like, Jason's got to be in the sequel. Interesting. And the rest is history. And then there's even more confusing lore about this opening scene specifically because there is two kind of different versions of and like there's as with most of these kind of stories that come out of Hollywood we probably will never know the full truth of it but the actress who is playing Alice Adrian King was definitely did at this part is true in had a stalker after the first film and it was incredibly dramatic and difficult for her and so one of the reasons why she she wanted to be killed so quickly in the first in this opening sequence is so that this didn't happen. She didn't like all of the media attention. That's one of the rumors. Another rumor is it was an issue with money and she was not her agent was like, well, if you want her back, she's a bigger star now. You've got to have this kind of money. And that was the officially recorded version that was released in the documentary. But there's a lot of just like speculation around it. 
And it produced this kind of really, whatever the circumstance produces, really fascinating cold open. And cold opens, we don't normally like it. So this no. is yet another another unique thing about this film and the tropes that it uses and how they worked on us this time. And I want to I want to talk a little bit more about about the Adrian King issue. So I'm like like I think I can tell you were kind of intimating. I don't really care whether or not the the agents got involved or whether it was solely like I don't really care what caused the specific conditions for the filming. But I am really interested in in this idea of her having the stalker for two reasons. One because we see in A New Nightmare, right, in, in Wes Craven's film, that he's very cognizant of the fact that, that there's something about this, right, that's, there's something about the final girl that we become obsessed about. And of course, that's Carol Clover's kind of whole premise. But it mm-hmm. also, you know, it, it just, to me, makes me also think even more about Grady Hendrix's final girl support group, which, if you haven't read that book, we have an episode on it, you should read the book and then listen to the episode. But what's so interesting about that, that book and what I think is the is the best part about it is the premise that there are these people that we have stopped treating as humans and we've started treating as objects. And there's perhaps no better example than than the final girl, right? Of that. And I think that like that idea that that people just can't seem to not conflate reality and and fantasy is is terrifying. But I think it's really interesting that it's centered on an actress known as who's one of the core final girls. And it also, that idea is still embedded within the film itself because it's this idea that she is right. She is still being followed. She, her traumas that were haunting her as the final girl, like is one of this other idea about the final girl that's not usually elaborated unless they get the sequels is that it never stops for them. It always, there's always another final for the final girl and encounter another thing to go through and I think that that is what is happening here. And sometimes, as it's interesting, and I think this complicates it. Sometimes the second time is too much. Yeah. And what is that? I, I think that's a fascinating and really kind of terrifying way to start your film. Yes. Uh, and I, even though I knew it was coming with this part two, it was still incredibly effective. Just because I think of the, a lot of the cinematography that was used during those, mm-hmm. during that cold open, I really liked the. I mean prosthetic head that was in the the fridge the good prop work there and we are seeing something that we're going to see continue through really through scream through final girl support group through my heart is a chainsaw and that is the idea of the final girl as a sort of cassandra as as this character who's like no something is very wrong and part two ends the same way right because we have our, our main character of Jenny, who we'll talk more about later. But, you know, at the very end, she's like, where's Paul? Where's Paul? And we understand that there's going to be a similar sort of like, well, hush, little lady, you know, it's OK. And I, I think for a film that is admittedly also made sure that we have plenty of nudity, uh, right. it's a rather sort of sophisticated way of, of showing us that like how we sort of gaslight victims sometimes. And did you know, I just learned where the term gaslight comes from. Did you know this? So uh, I don't I don't know. So I where, yeah. Where does the term gaslight? So come I from? read it in this book called Burnout. Very good book. Very much not horror, but still a great book. So the term comes from there was a 1944 film that had Ingrid Bergman called Gaslight. Also had Angela Lansbury and the husband's character 
is trying to get her to think that she's crazy because he's just not a great guy. So it, they still have gas lights in the house. And so he purposely makes it so it flickers. And she'll be like, I think the lights are flickering. And he's like, no, they're not, honey. They haven't ever flickered. And then like he just keeps like he tries to convince her that there's no one upstairs in the attic when clearly he's up there like rooting around for jewelry. And then it's not until yeah. this police officer comes in and he's like, no, no, you're 100% correct. The gaslight is flickering. So that's where it came from. So, huh. yeah, but I. Wow, it's just a, it's a film, it's a really old film reference. Yeah, so it's, so it's a, it's a film reference that just resonated so much that it has become a, a term that we use colloquially. But I bring that back to, to our character of, of Alice. You know, she, she's making it explicitly clear that she's uncomfortable and she doesn't feel safe. And, right. and yet she's killed. And of course, our other prophet, if you will, uh, you know, the, the slightly kooky towns guy is also killed. Yep. Right. So, so yep. that's, I think the voices of, of knowledge are, are just sort of taken out. And there's also correct me if I'm wrong, but like the only two who really survived yes. the first one, they yes. were like, they were because they had they were the last two remainders from the begin from the from the OG and now they're dead. So yeah, exactly. Which you know makes sense from it, a practical <laughs> standpoint of like yeah. we don't have to worry about bringing these actors or characters back on. Of course, um, of course. And but it also works as well yeah. as like a Jason is really like a he really is a cleansing figure. It's a completist. Really. Yes, yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. He has to collect them all. <laughs> Although I guess it wasn't. It was he was completing his mother's work i suppose in this one yes he was picking up the pieces yes and and he's picking up the pieces at a different camp right because they're not actually at camp crystal lake aka camp blood because we have the two counselors that are like hey let's go down and and check out let's go down and check out this space that's you know so that we can say we we've seen it and you know i was thinking about what you and i had talked about in our first episode um about the scholarship that was looking at sort of america's sort of perpetual fear of the woods and, right. and there was something about that scene between that that camp, those two camp counselors where she's like, come on, so-and-so, let's go down and see it. Don't you want to say that we've seen it so we can brag about it? That felt right. very Adam and Eve to me, right? Of another example of a garden, right? Another example of forbidden knowledge and and the fact that, that in some ways, some ways this film kind of communicates the idea that like, even if you have the knowledge, it's not going to protect you, right? Because you either don't have all the pieces or because no one believes you. But also, you know, the fact that it was the woman who was like, you know, come along, let's go see what right. we find. And of course, they don't find a serpent. They just find a mangled animal body. But, you know, close enough. Yeah, it's close enough. Uh, I, I do. I know how much you love to make religious comparisons. I do. I do. <laughs> in horror I text. mean, I just feel like it's it's ripe for the picking. No pun intended. <laughs> But but also there's just so much about this this film that is reminding us of, you know, the fact that there are things that we have decided are forbidden, right, or off limits. And Paul tells the story and then tells them, OK, I don't want to hear any more about this all summer long. So there's a really interesting way in which this film is playing with the concept of what information we get to have and and whether or not information can can save us. Right. Because they know the story. I mean, he explicitly tells them the story. There's not a single reason that any of them should be surprised then when it comes true. Well, I think it's like how tight they cling to the idea of an urban legend. And I think that's like how quickly something can descend into story. And because there were some, like, a little bit of like additives in there and they were clearly playing it up for dramatic effect and changing some details. So it's like, I think it would make sense that it feels like a story to them given 
their lived circumstances. And I, it's just a, it's interesting. It's a, an earlier nod to the power of urban legends. But like you said, it's not been that long, right? Like they're not uh, like talking no, about a story right. from like 30 years ago. It's not even been a, it's like it's, five years. It's not even a complete decade. It's Yeah, it's not like a Candyman yeah. situation or anything. Yeah, where they're like, remember 200 years ago? So I right. think you're right that it, it is really kind of showing us the power of how quickly something can become an urban legend. And then when it does, right, like it has power, but not the power we expect it to have. So we get through the scene with Alice, right? And, right. and then we we arrive at the camp and there's some really interesting things that happen in terms of setup that I think for me at least was part of the reason that I liked it, but also part of the reason that I find myself surprised by this film and honestly by the first one because I thought that they were going to be much more straightforward in terms of how we read them as slasher films, but both the 1980 film and, and our part two are a little bit they're not the Friday the 13th that I know we get to later, right? Where it's just like explicitly affirmative without there being anything for us to ponder or consider. And I think one yeah. of the things is, is the character of Jenny. Yeah, Jenny is a really fascinating character in the way that she is really willing to stand up to the camp's patriarchy, Paul, who she's also in a relationship with. And she asserts power. She... The actress herself really talked about how she really wanted to play against a lot of like tropes that had been established with the final girl. And she was like, I was actually distinctly concerned with making her unlikable. Mm. She was like, I wanted, I, she was like, there's a Jenny. It doesn't get what she wants a lot of the time. And so has had to learn other ways mm. to get what she wants. And she was like, I wasn't interested in creating something else. She was like, I wanted to do something with a little bit more roughness to it, like wasn't quite like the other final girls that she had seen before. I don't think she used the word final right, girls, right. but it was like horror lead, 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 leading lady, you know, or whatever. Uh, yeah. And but yeah, that idea. And, and because, and you can see that, right? So, so we have things that are outside of the actress's control, but that are worth noting. And that is, is that we have a, a more traditionally feminine name, whereas a lot of final girls, even from the name on, are sort of androgynous. The first time we see her, she's in a pink skirt, right? Mm-hmm. And and a white blouse. And, and she's she's exuding her, her femininity, right? And we kind of see that she has this relationship with Paul. And she's never, she's never shown as being, you know, wanton or, you know, and I'm not even sure anyone can be wanton, but, you know, I mean, she's never shown as, as being someone that we should, quote, judge. But, right. but she's definitely shown as having, you know, being aware of her sexuality and being aware of how to use that to get what she wants. And she's also educated, right? She's working on her, her graduate degree. And so that's a, a one of the really unexpected, rather delightful elements that we have. And then, of course, we just have some of the more gratuitous, like, but wait, have we had a camera angle that's going to show this girl's butt for several seconds? Because if we haven't, we should definitely get that in there. So it's interesting to me that it's almost like this film is at working at odds with itself. Like, it wants to be better, but then it just can't, like, help sometimes. Yeah. giving us the the gratuitous this is for the boys quote this is for the boys shots right because jenny also is like the character who really leads a lot of the like ideation around jason and this she like really she thinks through the morality yes. of this situation in a way that no one else really even comes close to yes understanding and how she breaks down like oh well it would make sense that like if he saw this young boy or this boy 
whatever whatever Jason is. I'm not sure where it's like a hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent clear if he is like a if if he is that same corpse from the water, or if he's a boy for who is somewhere else, or if he's a the writers later will confirm it be a comic book that Jason's a deadite. And I think that makes the most sense. Of yeah. Anything, and and but... I think that's like a, I think that was also a, Hey, by the way, let's just, yeah. let's just make a decision yeah. and then it's we can take it. Yeah. And then we, yeah, absolutely. But you're right. There, there is a weird, like, because if he popped out of the lake and he drowned and also like, anyway, so there's a lot it's... that doesn't make sense. So, but she's still like, it would make sense. Yes. If, oh, what if this person existed that could see this act of his mother? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and then... Doing these things that he could be an evil character and that that might be, mean that he would still... That's yeah. not his fault. Like, it's other things outside of it. And that's pretty interesting musing for a... On the antagonist and this big yeah. horror villain of being like, wait a second, guys. Like, hold up. Like, this could just be a big misunderstanding that they're hurting, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't obviously stay there. I mean, no, like, right. Action, and she she like, ultimately, like, uses psychology <laughs> against this feeble-minded uh, individual, I, but, you know. My my letterbox review for this film was uh, Ginny uses the power of Freud to <laughs> defeat Jason. Excellent, I, excellent. I referenced that in there in very the nice, line. Very nice, very nice. And uh, I, I think that is ultimately what, she, <laughs> what kind of does happen at yeah, the end. Yeah, yeah. It, strange horrors yeah it is it's very strange and like yeah a franchise not just a franchise a genre that's known for sort of embracing the freud for this film to use it again for the for the woman to succeed at least temporarily Um, i'm sure freud was probably less pleased that there weren't more people feeling like they wanted penises because you know that's 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 the dream so so that's one of the things that's really interesting that happens right at the beginning (laughs) The other thing that's really interesting, to me at least, because it kind of is the like, kind of had a theater vibe to it, is that they're counselors at counselor camp, right? So there's like this backstage, they're training. And so like you said earlier, one of the things it allows us to do is to really feel like we're at camp because they're, they're purposefully practicing the rituals that we'll be engaged in as... As they go forth and and counsel and and serve as camp counselors, and in the first film, I made a comment that like maybe not not that anyone deserved to die because that's a bit of a stretch, but like you know the whole concept of camp is rather ridiculous that we take these like eighteen to twenty two year olds and we put them in the woods with a bunch of children and nobody knows what they're doing and we don't expect there to be lots of deaths, but but like it's interesting that that these are camp counselors being the best versions of themselves possible. Nothing yeah. that they're doing is 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 making any any kid be in danger. You know, they're not having sex while a kid is there's no kids present, right? They're having training. And so we again have these victims that I thought Friday the 13th and certainly the remake does this. But I thought all of the films would do a lot more of like victims these people needed to be punished, right? Yeah. Then then we Jason have Jason as like a very moralizing yes. figure like a yeah, but that's definitely, they don't allow such a simplistic no. meaning for this because there are a lot of characters who like bite the bullet who are just like doing their best. Like, almost honestly, all of them, really. Almost all of them. I mean, so there's yeah, the one actually, sort of think, douchey guy, right? There's the one yeah. guy that like takes the shirt away, but like he's teasing her and it's not cool because it definitely wasn't consensual. But like, no. that's 
that's the most harm. And I'm not saying that's not an insignificant thing, because, again, you should not be picking yeah. up on people that don't want to be picked on. But, like, I don't think the, like, it's mur- murder is not like no. that. It's an overreaction, yes. for yes. sure. So, yes. like, to that, like, to yes. that. But, like, so, but that's the closest one where that reading, exactly. like, works. The others are, like, yeah, I guess a couple was, like, in their free time, like, Yeah, a dedicated, act. committed couple in their free time, right? In was their having free sex. time. Yeah. Um, someone uh, was, you know... Then there's Mark, who who was going to have sex with someone that wasn't in a relationship, but that's, first off, not a reason to be killed. But also, he was just, like, asking where she was, right? Like, there's there's so very little, and the fact that we're that much further removed from campers, because, right, in the first one, they just haven't arrived yet. And this one, they're not. there's no campers to be had. I just keep thinking back to that Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard, when they were making The Cabin in the Woods said that they were curious to know why this formula, right? Why do we keep enacting these horrors on these specific types of people? And so I think I just kept expecting there to be more really obvious victims that that were, quote, being punished, and there weren't. And I think that's one of the reasons this film was so interesting to me, is that it wasn't quite so, you know, like, you know, listen, young ladies, you keep yourself chased. And, you know, there was none of none of that. No one died from drug use. They were smoking weed, but that's not what caused them to die. And we will see that go away, I think, as the franchise continues. Yeah. And I also think we'll probably see this more like these more balanced relationships uh, go away as yeah, well. Yeah. Like I think Jenny and Paul are kind of unique, even as like, a, I mean, they're unique as a, like a functioning, healthy, mo- mostly healthy couple in a horror movie in general, yeah. but especially like in a slasher yeah. movie, that is like a very unique thing to have the mate, the leads and, and they do work very well together. The whole third, third act literally hinges on them, like equally working together. Uh, it's not a solo right. final no. girl on her own in the end, which is another unique yes. thing about this film is the, is, is the third act in like, it is much more of a team effort. Sure, they do leave Ted behind at the bar. They don't let <laughs> Ted come with them. I mean, come on. I, yeah. I, now, I do think that, I do admittedly think th- that the film did slow down once they had started killing all the characters who were doing bits or they yes. left Ted at the bar. Yes. Why could I, yeah. they left all of the bit people yeah. uh, out of the movie yeah. for the third act, so it slowed down a little bit. But examining the third act critically, again, <laughs> of course, bad. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it would have been interesting to see if, if Ted had made it back, you know, like how they would have done that. Corporate, yeah. It would have been funny because yes. I think he could have like tried to distra- tell a story to distract him yes. or something. Yes. I, I don't know, but they don't go, they leave Ted at the bar, but they still do have to work together and they form a plan. They talk together. He listens to her yes. and like does the plan that she suggests yes. Yes. as like doesn't question her authority or like how she got there just as like, okay, let's do it. Um, and they, temporarily succeed like as much as you can in a slasher film in which you know like they're always gonna have to at the last second like pull the carpet out from under you for their final freeze frame yes and and i think that or slow motion not (laughs) right right i I knew what you meant um (laughs) and i think we can see that that like relationship the one of the scenes that stands out to me is when they're they're looking to find so first the one part that i was like they're not reacting nearly as much as they should which is usually not the case, right? Like, usually it's the other extreme, right? That people are like, you're like, calm down. It was just, a, a you know, like a branch on a window. But when they yeah. see the bed soaked in blood, they were not nearly 
as like worried as I <laughs> I feel they should have been because they were kind of like, OK, well, let's go find everyone. And maybe that's why I would never be a good camp counselor. Right. Maybe that was just their camp counselor training in ultimate effect. We are just like super bloody bed. Let's move on. But like you've done camp counseling type stuff. Was that like was that day one of training? Like if you find a bed drenched in blood, calm down. Like was that part like, of what you learned? A little bit of. So speaking as a former summer camp counselor here, we did actually kind of get briefed a little bit on like proper like menstrual cycles and care and like that it was going to be like, perhaps like, you'll see that in the trash. And we just need to be aware of that. We need to make sure that everything is sanitary and clean. And if people have any questions on like, where to get them their stuff. And I did encounter a horror story in which there was lots of blood and we did have to like, kind of like figure out how to deal with it. So like, okay, I didn't think it's like a totally uncommon out of the left field thing that you would like not be able to see it i walked into a bathroom that looked like it was out of a horror movie and i just had to like keep my calm yeah in front of like a whole me me and my summer other summer camp counselor we were you just had to keep like a state face because we were not alone we were in we had a whole bunch of campers who were watching our decision so i don't know i don't i take it back so so paul and jenny (laughs) see the bed they react just as a camp counselor would, which is like super cool. And yes, there's way too much blood. And yes, there's no way that that can't be like death blood. But, you know, they're super cool because, again, they're camp counselors. And then then we go to the scene where, you know, she's like, I think something someone's in the room. Right. And right. in another horror movie, that would have been the like hush little lady moment. Right. That we have seen and talked about in other horror films. And instead, he turns to see. And I think that's one of the reasons he lives. Right. Because he actually listens to her. So there's this weirdly feminist thread in this film. But then there's all these ways that, it, you know, again, it kind of gets countered because, again, we have to also have our full female nudity because, like, why wouldn't you? Or the fact that by the time Jenny's in the final battle moments, she is dressed. I mean, she's literally wearing a man's shirt, right? She's wearing jeans. And so she's beginning to it's almost like she's donning the garb, literally, but, but also kind of figuratively of the final girl. And then, and then she is also like, oh, yeah. I guess just to complicate it a little bit, she is also to defeat, yes, uh, to defeat him. She does have to like fulfill her like role as woman, as mother, to kind of like nurture this man, baby, child thing, (laughs) uh, to into like not murdering them or whatever. Uh, So like, I I guess these two things definitely complicate like a overtly like feminist yay yeah kind of tech reading but it's certainly interesting for 1980 yes did you think so because i i hadn't seen i had seen parts of this film i had certainly seen mark's death scene before but i kept thinking she was gonna like put mrs Voorhees's head on on her shoulders like that she was gonna hunch under the sweater <laughs> does that okay you, you were shaking your head no <laughs> there so she kept making a face and she kept like scrunching her shoulders, but I think it's because she was wearing a moldy, gross death sweater. But like she kept shrugging her shoulders and like staring at the head and then we would see the head. And then and like I kept I just was waiting for her to put it on. Mm, interesting. But apparently that that's just me. So and I'm glad that didn't happen right because that would have been real, real lame. But then, OK, so, you know, we've lost everyone else. And, and I want to say like the deaths in this were a lot of fun. Like, yeah. And they were also the you know, the special effects were really good. Um, we do have uh, one death scene that, again, kind of re totally destroys the the whole like if there is any feminist threads. And, and that is what is often called the double impalement scene. Right. Which uh, got 
shortened because they had to shorten several of the death scenes in order to take away the X rating for this film. And that double impalement scene, you know, I mean, she's or sometimes just the double penetration scene is what it's called, right? Where she's being stabbed by uh, Jason as well as her lover. You know, I mean, that's not great <laughs> as as like a, you know, like how we treat women. And and I was so sad to see that scene, actually, because at the very beginning with Alice, like when Alice is changing, we don't see her naked. You know, I mean, there's like so many moments where there's these like weird moments that feel very like, g- good, you're going in the direction I want. And then, oh, no, you're reversing. But we eventually get to the end of the film. With what's the dog's name again? Peanut butter, buttercup? Muffin. Muffin. There we go. Um, and, <laughs> and like the cheesiest music that we've had all oh, film yeah. long. And like also then what was in the woods, right? And I know they were trying to do like a reverse, like a trick you. But like there were definitely two little fluffy dogs in the woods because that was definitely the body of a little fluffy dog. I was actually kind of hoping that like Muffin was in on it with Jason and that like <laughs> Muffin had become like Jason's what? companion. Yeah, I wanted the. I didn't want hurt him to bust through the glass. I wanted him. You wanted the dog to turn and like well, the dog is wearing a Jason no, mask and then no. it's like. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wanted, I wanted the dog to like look back up at Jason, and we realized that like they're now best friends, and that oh. Muffin is basically like the decoy, and Muffin's just gonna like start lurking people to be. <laughs> anyway, I had a whole vision of where i wanted it to go there was going to be a whole chronicle of of jason and muffin uh but instead he busts through the window we get this really weird breaking of the 180 degree rule yeah i know i'm just gonna skip skipping right over it but honestly it would have been so good because muffin would have looked up with love at jason what? jason would have been like er you know like good dog <laughs> then he would have stabbed uh paul then muffin would have started licking the blood because muffin's gone muffin's gone <laughs> muffin's gone bad this is a yeah, this and then, and that's where it would have ended, right? So that was I, my I version. I love that you created like a, a crypto, the super yeah. dog yeah. kind of companions uh, for for Jason. Because in, Jenny in, told in us that like he's just a disturbed child. He just needs a support animal, and Muffin is his support animal, and that's the version I would have liked to see. Instead, he busts through the window, and he's got the like right. grossest hair possible. Apparently that shot was really painful for the actors well, to do. Yeah. Uh, because they had the cameras that they had to use, the special slow motion cameras, which had to go really quickly and just burst through it in real time. Mm. And it was like, so anything, she, they did it real quick. And so she was like, it was all real fear. Anytime I heard the steps of going, coming back, it was about to burst through the window. I tensing, I was so tense. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, and someone else got stabbed, right? One of the the the, the guy who was the the body of of Jason, which is not the name that's that's um sometimes listed in the credits. He had to get stitches on his finger, so they went to the hospital with him having the fake machete in him in his arm in his shoulder, and then he got stitched up, and then they went back and filmed. So yeah, I I mean like certainly the things we were able to get away with in filming in the seventies and eighties are just never again for for very uh, good reasons. Never again. Yeah, it was a. Uh... Certainly, certainly a, a different time. Although, for... was it? Because, like, we have people like Darren Aronofsky, right? Who, like, end up... Like, I was reading something about Natalie Portman and Black Swan and how when she actually physically hurt herself, he told her to, like, stay in character while she was having physical therapy yeah. so they could film it. Like, so maybe... Actually, I guess you're right. And I mean, like, Alec Baldwin did, like, get into oh, yeah. a little bit of 
on street. We do have still incidents of onset violence, yes. I suppose, and like accidents happen. So I guess maybe I think maybe that's just I think we're just better it's... about acknowledging that maybe it's not good. We don't do anything to fix it, but at least we're like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least now we're like, this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all that we need, yeah, right? Like oh, as yeah. long as you acknowledge it. So what did you think though of the final minutes when you know she's in the on the gurney and she's you know being put into the ambulance and she's asking like where paul is like how do you feel about that because i don't know how i feel i don't know if i like it or not i don't think i do i i don't know i think it was the i think it was a fine moment of being like where's this person who helped me take take down jason i think like of being like, where is this person? It's not like she was like, I need. need no, this it wasn't. It wasn't that. I anything, think. Or... I think to me, it was. It was a cheap way to make sure that she was the final girl. I think that's what my problem was: is that it felt like a way to make sure we we saw the final girl as we always see the final girl, right alone. Oh, I understand. Yeah, it's you. You thought it was just it was unnecessary. I thought it was, it was unnecessary. So much of, yeah, I see. I I guess I. I, I do agree. I was going to say overall, I didn't enjoy the this last like little bit very much. I, I like the setup of the funny music and like the yeah. idea of it, but I didn't like the shattering of no. it because I thought that it had actually wrapped up yeah. fairly, I mean, weirdly because it was a Freud ending, right. but it had wrapped up like nice, interestingly yeah. with like that teamwork and working together. And I liked where it kind of ended, but it's and a and I th- horror movie made in the it, well they really the producers really did were like there were key moments that they were like we have to just copy from the first one because they worked so well and the slow motion ending was one of those moments so this was a non negotiable interesting and and they made some other good decisions at the end like the the head of of Ham Voorhees was not a it was not a mannequin it was a real person in makeup because they were gonna have her open her eye and and wink. And I'm really glad they didn't do that, right? Because like, stay in your lane. <laughs> you know that that is a that's a f- nightmare on Elm Street move. They can get away with it, but yeah. you need to like stay in your lane, especially if you're going to yeah. start crafting this whole other sort of type of horror. Um, so they made a good decision there at the end, but I just felt like those last couple of cold closings. Can we call them that? Um, but that yeah. that was a terrible. It's really hard to say cold closings. I didn't care for those, right? Like, I would have been fine with the ending, uh, you know, with, with him. Or with Muffin, you know, because... Or, or your ending, yeah. 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 <laughs> but overall, honestly, like, I guess, like, even with, like, that kind of meh ending, it was still... It was fun. It was fun, which is, you know... It, 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 this is a vast improvement in my mind on, like... In my mind, I no longer think I can just like think of Friday the 13th the same way yeah. this kind of like one size fits all black yes. kind of like film because I think after watching the first one I was a little bit like I had a newfound respect for it after seeing it a little bit again but I was still kind of like meh yeah overall this one is it something different it was I I enjoyed it I thought it had a it at least was doing the tropes slightly differently and Jenny is certainly a very compelling yes lead character so those are some of our thoughts on friday the 13th part two we are going to for literally over a year i think work our Mm -hmm. way through 
the Friday the 13th franchises because there's just so many of them. We did make the executive decision that we will rewatch Freddy vs. Jason, but we won't do it as an episode. We'll do it as like an, an extra just so that we can get through the franchise a little bit faster because we'll be working on it for quite some time. And I'm kind of excited to see where some of these other ones go next. But yeah, not sure if they're going to be as like sophisticated yeah. and interesting as this, but they'll be they'll be something. Yeah, you know, if you had told me five years ago, that's a random amount of time, but like five years ago, that I was going to really be a fan of these sort of films that were not quite sure what they were doing, right? And I think Nightmare on Elm Street is another example of a film that was still trying to figure itself out in the first one. If, if you had told me that I was going to be a fan of these sort of hot mess films, I think I would have laughed in your face, but but there's something rather lovely about these films that are finding themselves like the Evil Dead franchise, right? Like, and I think I think that honesty, right, that like genuine excitement to see where we go next is probably one of the reasons that this franchise has, has managed to be so successful. But that's not where, that's we're, going not where we're going next. Where are we going next, Tony? We are going to be going backwards and forwards <laughs> in a reference that will make sense in just a second. In doing an episode over 1979's Nosferatu. So revisiting the character of Nosferatu, uh, we did the an episode over the black and white film from 1922. Now we're going to be doing this version, continuing our dive into vampires. And very specifically into Nosferatu, which is going to be exciting. Indeed. Because I'm very excited. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see this film. Because I, it's I haven't seen it. And it's time to see it, but I'm really excited to see the next one, right? The one that's about the like fictional making of, because that ticks all my boxes. But that's that's next. So the 1979 Nosferatu is what you should be watching between now and then. Tony, what else should people be doing? Well, they should check out our social medias, which are listed in the description of this podcast. That is the best way to get in contact with us. You can also reach out to us via email, which is in the description as well. Let us know what you like, what you want to see next. We want to hear from you. And as Tony is is frequently willing to say, go ahead and give us five reviews. You know, uh, just uh, just do it. Give us a review. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> and as always, I want to, we both want to say thank you so much to Jackson for being amazing and doing all of the editing so that we don't have to. Thank you so much for listening to our nightmares. And have a spooktacular day. <laughs>